Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. We have a big episode today. We're going to be celebrating the achievements of female characters in the Harry Potter series in honor of Women's History Month. And to help us with this discussion today, we are joined by one of our listeners, Olivia. Hi, Olivia. Welcome to the show. Hi. Let's get your fandom ID. So my favorite book is Six. Uh, I just really feel like that's when I came to the series as an adult. And I feel like that's really when everything started taking off. My favorite movie is Five for kind of the same reason. Mm. Uh, my Hogwarts house is Ravenclaw. My Ilvermorny house is Thunderbird, I think. But I couldn't go check because that's not there anymore. It's gone. <laughs> and my favorite Lady Harry Potter character is Hermione. When I was first reading the books as a kid, she was described as kind of awkward with buck teeth and bushy hair and a bit of a know-it-all. And I was like, oh, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Relatable. (laughs) Immediately gravitated towards her. Awesome. Thank you very much for supporting us. And we're excited to have you here. Thanks. We do have a couple of news items, actually. First of all, the four of us, the four Mugglecasters did something very exciting last weekend, and it's going to be released this upcoming week. So keep your eyes peeled on our social media channels. We don't want to share it yet because it's not our announcement to make, but we appeared on another podcast and you'll be hearing that very soon and we'll talk about it more on next week's episode. But again, follow us on social media, MuggleCast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and you'll see the you'll see what we were up to last week in the coming days. Also, a little update on Hogwarts Legacy. We found out that when you start up the game and create your character, you will be able to create a trans person in the game. Um, It's going to have an inclusive character creator, allowing players to choose voice and body type unrelated to gender. The character creator will allow players to choose one of two options, which are wizard, which will wizard, which will put players in one of two dorms. This decision, however, has no bearing on what character is created. Voice and body type are not tied to gender. This is according to a new report from Bloomberg. And apparently uh, the people who are in charge of the game were a little hesitant to include this. But as of right now, this feature, if you will, these settings are available in the current build of Hogwarts Legacy. So it's good news. It's not the biggest deal because a lot of video games already do this, right, Eric? I know you called out Cyberpunk. Yeah, I mean, it is a big deal for inclusivity and the fact that it's a new kind of, especially given this franchise, right? This series, the fact that they're allowing this level of customization of character is extremely important for representation purposes. And But but it is the, the hip new thing to do, like again, Cyberpunk. But you said too, like The Sims allowed you quite a quite a bit of customization over the years you can really create any type of character you want in the sims video games and uh, they've been focused on inclusivity over the past couple of years and yes i did invent the sims video game i am a billionaire uh <laughs> but that's a discussion for another time follow him at sims on twitter for, and ask him all your questions <laughs> i just say it's not a huge deal just because some games already do this it's not like hogwarts legacy is forging a path here um yeah but it is nice to see you're right yeah, well, apparently it came out of uh, pe- the people who are working on the game's growing frustration with uh, some of J.K. Rowling's comments. So they really fought to have this level of uh, inclusivity and feature, and we'll just see if it sticks. Uh, does this change anybody's opinion on buying the game, how they buy the game, whether or not they play the game? No. It's not like switched me from not paying for the game to paying for the game. 
But I've actually, this was a beacon of hope. This was a green light in the distance that makes me think there's a better experience to be had with this game than previously thought. So I'm Mm -hmm. kind of excited to see where this goes. I am more with Laura. Laura, do you want to say why you feel that way? Yeah. So first, I mean, I think it's a great thing that this is being included. I think that it, it does represent um, that, that there are people involved in the franchise who aren't bigots. That said, this isn't the hard work that needs to be done in order to, I don't even want to say rectify, because I don't know that you can rectify the damage, but sort of become like at least neutral, like to have this franchise be representative of something that is truly inclusive. I don't think that this alone um, does all of the work that needs to be done to make that yeah. a reality. So I agree, I agree with that. The other piece of that too is that it's not coming from the author herself, right? And right. that's right. something that, that came to mind for me. I probably would have planned to buy the game and play the game anyway. So this doesn't impact my decision one way or the other, but I think it's mm-hmm. great that they are being more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, I mean, features like this do help normalize trans people to a wider population that is good that is helpful and that's what we need so like laura and micah was saying i don't really think that the people who were going to buy the game anyway are still probably going to buy the game like it's not going to make anyone not want to buy the game and the people who weren't going to buy the game i don't know if this would be something that would just push them over the edge because like you were saying it doesn't come from the author it's still just coming from these developers which is good but not the push needed to make me want to go out and spend more money in this franchise. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Hogwarts Legacy will be released in 2022, so we still have a ways to go until it is released. So let's move on to our main discussion. Eric, do you want to kick things off? Yeah, so this uh, week's discussion is uh, about the achievements made by women in the Harry Potter series. Um, So actually, March 8th is, in fact, International Women's Day, which we all may know. Uh, is a global day celebrating the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. Um, it's also a day calling uh, to action for gender equality. Just a good, good, good day um, to celebrate women. And that's this week that uh, our episode falls on. So we wanted to take a look at uh, just the various female characters. I also envisioned this as sort of a sister episode to our Mother's Day episode of several years ago episode 368 we took a look at all the mothers of the wizarding world and sort of how they made uh, such a positive impact on the characters and swayed the series uh so today we're going to be looking at you know just other uh women characters and uh characters and how they affected the series through their actions not related to their motherhood specifically so um Of course, the first one we do have here is sort of related to motherhood. We have Lily Potter. We're going to go in book order. And Lily's biggest uh, achievement that we've highlighted here is that she successfully saves Harry's life. You know, she dies for her son and her sacrifice happens to invoke this ancient magic, which thwarts Lord Voldemort. And it saves countless uh, lives because of doing that. So she's not only saving Harry's life, but by that defeating Voldemort, she's pretty much saving the world. (laughs) So yeah, Lily Potter, everybody. (laughs) It it also sets motherhood as a really important repeating theme 
in the Potter books. And of course, we learn later that Voldemort was doomed not to foresee this particular magic because he never experienced a mother's love. So he couldn't conceive of what it was capable of doing. Yeah, and I know we'll probably talk a bit about Narcissa a little bit later on, but the whole ring theory, Sorcerer's Stone, Deathly Hallows, and connecting the two points of Lily's sacrifice and Narcissa's sacrifice and the importance of motherhood is like, like you said, Laura, in this series is definitely an important one. If we want to look at Lily again, like she was given the choice to walk away. The thing is Voldemort had agreed not to kill her and she could have walked free. She would have been a widow and she would have been, you know, childless as a result of it. But had she any desire to self-preserve, it would be a very different book series or there wouldn't be a book series because Harry would be dead. Mm -hmm. Unless like Lily decided to go back to Hogwarts in place of Harry to like pay tribute to him. But (laughs) that wouldn't have been as good. Can you imagine Lily showing up on the 11th on what would have been Harry's 11th year and been like, okay, I'm going to take some classes. Very weird. (laughs) So let's look at Hermione. And we have a bunch of Hermione examples today. And actually, we're saving a few of them for bonus MuggleCast because Hermione is amazing. And we just want to feature as many different women as possible. But in Sorcerer's Stone, of course, at the end of the book, she solves Professor Snape's logic puzzle. We have a little quote here. Hermione let out a great sigh and Harry, amazed, saw that she was smiling. The very last thing he felt like doing. Brilliant, said Hermione. This isn't magic. It's logic. A puzzle. A lot of the greatest wizards haven't gotten an ounce of logic. They'd be stuck in here forever. That is so true and a good reminder about life. A lot of people are a lot stupider than you realize. Uh, Just keep that in mind as you go through life. But anyway, I really appreciate seeing her work through this puzzle because I take one look at this riddle and this might be a stereotype, but men are impatient. I'm impatient. I am so impatient. And when I looked at that riddle, I was like, I'm out. I'm done. I would turn around and go home and give up. Snape, you can take the stone. I would also say not just men, because I also look at that puzzle and I'm like, I can't, I'm, I could sit here all day and not be able to figure this out. Great. Yep. Thank you for so, saying that. It's, Let's be it's lazy together. It's definitely a Hermione thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. And to be honest, I took a logic class in college and I learned a lot, but it was single-handedly the most frustrating (laughs) class I ever took. So yeah, I'm with Olivia on this. A logic class. I want to hear more about that sometime. But (sighs) I'll send you the textbook. (laughs) Okay. But shout out to Hermione here because it's a really great moment to see her work through this. And she actually works through it pretty quickly. I reread this passage in the book and it's no problem for her. It was great. (laughs) Right. It definitely speaks to the need to be well-rounded and to not just be focused on one thing. And I think that's a lesson we can all learn as well. Like let's, you know, hone sort of a small set of skills, but also try and pick up skills here and there that aren't necessarily directly in your wheelhouse and you will succeed in life. One question I did have about this though is, do you think it's easier for her to solve because it isn't magic related and she's coming from a non-magic family? Hmm. I think she has the... Tension. Mm-hmm. The, the only comfort that Snape gives in providing this is the instructions, because you presumably have everything you need in the little intro there on the slip of paper, right? But Hermione's cool demeanor in the face of, you know, towering 
there's like walls of flame and you got to step through them. I think most people would just freak out about that, but she keeps her cool and is like, no, we have everything we need. I just got to focus. So I think it's her ability to focus more than anything. Yeah. And Hermione is very pragmatic, right? So I think that comes into play here. She's the best of both worlds. Yeah. She actually saves the the tree, the, or well, the rest of the trio, uh, <laughs> Harry and Ron's lives multiple times in the, in the, in the first couple books. So like, just huge shout out. She's a super powerhouse of a person. Yeah, we've definitely joked on the show before about how the first three books could be retitled Hermione Granger and the 15 times that I saved these guys asses like (laughs) really does. (laughs) I was just wondering, maybe the Sunday crossword came into play here. And she was really good. at. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, we're gonna look forward a little bit specifically at Chamber of Secrets and Half-Blood Prince, uh, at Ginny and her role in the series. First of all, first and foremost, she survives her ordeal with Tom Riddle's diary, aka a horcrux <laughs> she has all year. And even though it has significant impacts on her, she doesn't allow her trauma to define her. Now, I will say something that I kind of got to call BS on <gasps> is we don't get to see um, her working through this. There's just no way she doesn't walk away from the events of the second book with significant trauma. Mm. And we just don't really hear a whole lot about it. In fact, you could almost forget that any of that happened until book five when she's like, hey, bozo, I was possessed by Voldemort too. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Well, it, it makes me wonder why and how she was able to overcome that. I mean, there, we know that Hogwarts, we've joked before about how there's a tremendous lack of psychological services provided to the students. And Mental health no, nightmare. Like, grievance counselor. There's no guidance counselor. There's no any any of this. And, and we don't know, like, did Ginny rely on like close female friendships? Did she re- rely on her mom? Did she rely on Hermione to help get her through this? There's just no precedent. We don't know how she did it. I think obviously that's an oversight from Joe. She's telling Harry's story, but I would have liked to have seen it, but it is still equally impressive. Like we don't know how Jenny did it, but the evidence is on the page. She did do it. She overcame this tremendous trauma. She almost had her entire life force sucked out um, to build a new Voldemort. Yeah, I would say we we do get hints of it throughout the books, I think. So we don't know, obviously, but I think that there is enough if you if you like really read into what Jenny's been doing until she sort of comes into prominence in book five is she comes into book five with pretty strong like female friendships. Right. She already knows Luna. She already knows she's clearly been friends with Hermione for a little while. And we see her relationship with her mom some. So she has a, a unique network, I think, mm. uh, that Harry doesn't really get to explore or dig into much because he's pretty self-centered, um, which makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he we do get glimpses of that. And I think that it's important to kind of step back and, and see like, Hey, it, she, she clearly has been dealing with this in one way or another mm-hmm. because she does come in as pretty healthy. Um, and she, she does seem like she's managed a lot of that trauma uh, and moved forward. So I just think it's, there's, there's a lot to explore there with her. Uh, we just, yeah, we just don't have it on the page. So it's just hard to know exactly mm-hmm. what happened. This sounds like a perfect story for PotterNoMore.com. But I don't think anything right. ever got written about her experience after, how she dealt with it after. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also maybe a relevant social commentary to say 
you know, women are often forced to sort of deal with their trauma quietly and sort of out of the view of the public. And this feels like it could be a commentary on that. You know, Harry gets a lot of fanfare because he gets, you know, physically injured (laughs) a lot. Um, But Ginny was literally pouring her soul into a horcrux and nearly died from it. But she doesn't walk away with any, you know, lasting physical harm, right? It's all, I I would imagine that would be a a very heavy mental burden to bear. And because it's not an impact that we see physically, I think that characters in the books, but also readers of the books can move on from it fairly easily. And I think that that's reflective of the experiences of a lot of women. That's amazing. Yeah. Perfect call out there. I mean, she's forced to sort of suffer in silence. Meanwhile, the whole school knows every little bit of Harry's, uh, you know, insecurities and failures and everybody knows what he's going through all the time. Yeah. He'll have an outburst Mm -hmm. in class and it'll be the talk of the town. Meanwhile, Ginny's sort of, you know, forced to recover in the background. To Olivia's point, though, there there are moments um, where Ginny does try and, and bring this up. And I think probably the biggest one is in Order of the Phoenix when she's finally able to kind of break through to Harry saying, yeah, you know what? I've been in this situation before. Why don't you try talking to me? Yeah. And Half-Blood Prince as well, when she kind of gets on his case about following the words of a mysterious book. I think that's another <laughs> example of her trying to maybe express some of what she has gone through herself. But it's definitely something that they can connect over um, as traumatic as those experiences were. Right. All right. Next up is Fleur de la Cour, uh, talking about her becoming the champion uh, from Bobaton uh, for the Triwizard Tournament. Um, and uh, Eric, I know you have in here, the the movie really made uh, Bobaton out to be an all-girls school, but it is in fact co-ed. Uh, Nicholas Flamel mm-hmm. attended the school. It's where he met his wife, Perinelle. And Fleur's the only Triwizard champion chosen by the Goblet of Fire during this particular tournament. And she's deemed worthy enough to represent her school. So, I mean, I guess it's something that generally I haven't thought back on, but the fact that only one of the champions that year was a female begs the question during prior tournaments, how many were female. Yeah, what was the diversity? And is the Goblet of Fire using the same metrics as, uh, say, American businesses to choose candidates? <laughs> it's like... Is the Goblet of Fire sexist? Is it? We don't know. Next week, an interview with the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope it's not. <laughs> I would hope it has a different way of picking. Do we know? Do we know how the Goblet of Fire... Well, it's it's just Dumbledore calls it an Im- impartial judge okay that's that's so not sexist. pretty much the only friend i look i looked into it pretty well if you believe dumbledore mm. um and if dumbledore himself is free of bias we don't know mm-hmm. but uh he calls it an impartial judge yeah really the big deal here the action item the the thing to talk about is you know floor was chosen for a reason she's going to represent all of bobaton she beat out every other student and in fact hundreds of students are there basically after the choosing ceremony to cheer her on and support her as their champion. So there must be more to her like character on the inside, on the outside, that is very stunning for her to basically 
beat out all the other competition. Yeah. She's not really represented that great in the Triwizard Tournament, right? <laughs> She's yeah. kind of a little bit of a, well, a bit of a dunce when it comes to actually being like a great champion, but she's also i mean she's just because she's not the best champion does not mean that she's not a good representation of her school or the best champion from her school right yeah yeah we've talked about this issue with fleur before where you know even when we see her again a couple years later they call her phlegm and the weasleys are very hesitant to invite her into their family and it's it's a big like there's a lot of women hating women moments as it pertains to fleur but in book four she's just kind of also loudly remarking about um, the differences and how Bobetons is better and this great hall is so extravagant, but not at all in comparison. So it just kind of just really like rubs Harry the wrong way. And I think rubs the reader the wrong way sometimes about that coupled with her scores. Like you said, Olivia, like she uh, places last in the first task. She doesn't finish the second task. And in the third task, Barty Crouch Jr. comes in and stuns her before obviously so she doesn't win the the third task either like to not even place in subsequent tasks yeah it's not the greatest look Mm -hmm. um academically or you know otherwise but i think that there is something there and i think that she's got tremendous character and she's got bravery and all all the makings of a warrior and an accomplished witch in the wizarding world yeah i agree next character that really comes out and has a lot of great accomplishments is tonks um she's a former hufflepuff student and she ascends to the rank of Aurors after rigorous training and is one of the few women we know uh, to do that. And she's also really young when she comes in as an Auror. Um, so I think that she's she's a really interesting female character that doesn't get full exploration, I think, in the books. Yeah. I mean, I looked up a list of all the known Aurors because, you know, places like Harry Potter Lexicon were writing down every time they heard of or saw anything, both in the books and in the extended media. And there were 17 uh, listed on the page and four of those, including Tonks, are women. Um, The others being Alice Longbottom and then two we've never really seen or heard of, Venusia Crickerly and, quote, Witch with Eye Patch. Awesome. (laughs) might have been part (laughs) of Doesn't even get a name. She's either part of the advanced... (laughs) Yeah, I want to know more about Witch with Eye Patch, but... uh, I saw her in the Goblet of Fire movie credits once. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, okay, cool. Was that the one everybody thought was Joe doing cameo? (laughs) Anyway, but yeah, so uh, four out of 17 orders that we know of are women. That's not great odds. It's a boys club, everybody, and Tonks is there. She stands out. Yeah, and it makes me wonder if it's the result of gender roles from decades, centuries past, that there aren't more female orders, similar to how in the muggle world we, we've we seen less women in police forces or in in world leadership roles, etc. This, of course, is changing, and I would assume it's changing in the in the wizarding world as well. But it makes me think that that's what's going on here. It's Interesting that you say that, though, because you know we're dealing with a series now in Fantastic Beast where I feel like it is becoming more diverse, even though it's timeline-wise, it's taking place before Harry Potter. So I'm thinking of Serafina Pickery being yeah the head of Makuza, right? Uh, which it's a really good point. Probably should have happened in Harry Potter, or you know, subsequently after that. But it seems like it's happening. What would that be like? 70, 80 years prior. So it's a little weird. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, plus Tina was an Auror 
Speaking of oh yeah, well the, yeah. the what is the um, American equivalent? Right, I agree with that. I think that it's nevertheless Tonks really stands out. She's got the right attitude. I think she's the coolest person that Harry ever meets as a book five. Like he's just like, man, who is this chick? Like she's really really cool, and she gets under Mad Eye's uh, <laughs> skin and adores him as a mentor. Like the Tonks relate the Tonks Mad Eye relationship is one that I would absolutely read about. Um, constantly like she's his protege and i think she really picks up a lot of what he lays down and does it in her own cool way and also doesn't sacrifice her personality although i think she wishes she could sacrifice her clumsiness a little bit (laughs) to become an horror but we know she can't do that either but yeah she's just like super interesting and super accomplished it's an amazing feat to become an horror and that's what tonks does again like mike said at a very young age Let's take a break from all this girl power to tell you about this week's sponsor, MD Acne. Many of us have been dealing with acne for what feels like our entire lives, and no matter how much time passes, no matter how many purported magical tricks we try, it's still there. So now's the time to try a new solution that is actually tailored to you. MD Acne is offering the first of its kind skin supplements that are customized for each person's particular skin condition and helps treat adult hormonal acne. The supplements feature DIM, a naturally occurring nutrient found in cruciferous veggies, which helps balance the body's response to hormones and support the treatment of adult hormonal acne. Here's how it works. Go to mdacne.com mugglecast, answer a short quiz, Based on your answers, you'll see what are the best vitamins and minerals for your unique skin condition and lifestyle goals, and then you can order your free month supply for free. Just pay for shipping. This quiz is key because unlike all those other solutions you see in the store, MD Acne is actually figuring out your situation and then making recommendations based on your quiz answers. This is what we've needed all along. So go to mdacne.com slash mugglecast to take the quiz and get your first month supply for free. Just pay for shipping. All of MD Acne's products are vegan, PETA-approved, cruelty-free, paraben-free, and non-toxic. Just go to mdacne.com slash mugglecast, link in the show notes, to take the quiz and get your first month supply for free. Just pay for shipping. So <laughs> this next achievement by a woman in Harry Potter is my personal favorite. Uh, it is Walburga Black. <laughs> it's not what anyone's expecting. Sirius's mom defeats the Order of the Phoenix. I have this uh, taking place in Order of the Phoenix. And the reason is that the portrait of Wahlberger Black, the portrait of Mrs. Black, is affixed to the wall in Grimald Place, where the Order of the Phoenix has decided to make their headquarters. And not to one of them, not any of the members of the Order can figure out how to get this, this absurd, this vicious painting off... <laughs> the wall they they can't remove it we're talking about the brightest witches and wizards of of the day we're talking about literally the the people that dumbledore hand chose to defeat the most evil dark lord of all time and they can't get a painting off the wall of a house that they're using as their headquarters like the headcanon that dumbledore absolutely can remove that sticking charm and just just choosing not to the whole time (laughs) (laughs) well it's such a it's such an annoyance like it disrupts business like it disrupts the strategic planning everyone needs to do, the fact that they have to like tiptoe around Mrs. Black. Yeah. But yeah, like it's she so literally <laughs> she decreed so much. She literally decreed that like this portrait of hers was always going to be in the house that she was the matron of for all time. 
basically. You know, I don't know if we should be celebrating this, just like I don't think we should be celebrating <laughs> the next character, but I appreciate right. your passion and, and your- I think it's an achievement well, made by a woman. Well, yeah. yeah, and I think that we can talk about multiple truths here, right? Like, it's true that this is absolutely quite an achievement. Is this the sort of voice that we- want to be continually subjected to every time we go to Grim Old Place? Absolutely not. Right. I think that there's a lot more to dig into as far as um, Mrs. Black and all of her uh, sort of stereotypical characteristics that she unfortunately does bring to the books. Mm. Uh, but as far as having an accomplishment, she, I mean, she clearly ran that household like it with an iron fist, right? There was mm. her children for the most part fell in line and and she continued this this long-standing tradition and um really did was kind of the classic example of um those like old money passing down through lineage and all of that sort of stereotypes which i don't know if those i wouldn't necessarily view them as um accomplishments i would like to see <laughs> but in certain circles or in certain worlds i mean she she was pretty accomplished for herself. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, this permanent sticking charm is probably symbolic of, as you said, Olivia, her running this house with an iron fist and the fact that this is her house. And it's, it's yeah. funny. It's funny. Yeah. So, so young girls out there, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Just look at Mrs. Black. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Not no. not the character that I would pick to be a, a role model for young girls. But... Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, our next character, Umbridge. Yes, we're going to celebrate her. Did that just trigger you all? That sound Ooh. effect? A little bit. I, I missed How it. How can we I do this? We so talked much. about how many times she sucked in the uh, Harry Potter series. Now we're going to uh, lift her up. In honor of Women's History Month, we are retracting all of those suck counts. We're clearing <laughs> them all out. It didn't happen. No, so... um. Umbridge, she flies completely under the radar in her attack on Harry Potter. <laughs> this would be a good one for me to uh, talk about because I'm the person who would say stuff like this. But actually, Eric wanted to include <laughs> Umbridge here. I, like, yes, she is a clever witch. She did a very good job accomplishing what she set out to do. But I would just leave it at that. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, the problem is, so we have to be a little bit objective here as far as like are, you know is umbridge a good person no is was mrs black a good person no she was a crazy bigot but in in the honor of actually just celebrating women's achievements it is pretty terrifying that somebody like umbridge who's the undersecretary to the minister for magic can tell the dementors to go and suck out harry's harry potter's soul now she's she ain't even never met harry at this time right so she doesn't know him she is able to use the full force of the government to attack a child, you know, student in a muggle area. You know, Dudley could have died as well. And nobody at the ministry knew that she did it. And I we don't hear about any kind of inquiry either afterwards. But like even after Dumbledore makes his great point at Harry's trial about, um, you know, well, surely the Dementors are either under the ministry's control or not, question mark. We don't hear about any kind of follow up. And so really the achievement here is for Dolores Umbridge being either as much of a nobody that nobody questions her 
and as much of a somebody that she could get it done. Hmm. Here's a terrifying person who's able to enact all of her most uh, insidious plans and fly under the radar for it's, it. Yeah, it, it's yeah. hard for me to celebrate her, but I will say if you're just isolating her achievements and, and putting yourself in in her frame of mind, she is able to become undersecretary to the minister. She is able to become deputy headmistress of Hogwarts and eventually take over the school. She is able to become head of the Muggleborn Registration Commission. So she is able to do the things that she sets her mind to, albeit in a very underhanded, devious, crooked sort of way. So I will just add that caveat to it. Yeah, she yeah. knows how to manipulate the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, that's the thing. And I mean, when we're talking about women's history, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, we can't recognize people doing, you know, <laughs> to quote Ollivander, great and horrible things. Mm-hmm. You know, it, again, multiple truths. What she achieved here, she created, she wrote a role for herself and she uh sunk into it perfectly so that's what i'll say about that i don't think look, <laughs> as as human i know we're celebrating women but like as humans none of us are impervious to corruption or um selfishness and the the pulling of emotions and wants and needs and political ambitions um all of us are subject to that in this world and so you know viewing Dum- uh, dolores's political achievements here i think in order to be in politics, you might have to make some of these sacrifices. Doesn't justify anything Umbridge did, but I think that all of us as humans are, f- are familiar with the concept of what drives Dolores Umbridge deep down. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of it seemingly from her backstory that we had looked at on Potter No More came from the fact that she was very just embarrassed and disappointed with her lack of with her father's lack of ambition for rising up through the ministry. And that's why she chose to take that path. Right. right. It kind of mars most of her accomplishments though, that, that she was accomplished because she was basically the worst person. Yeah. So it's, it's a really like hard position to take because you understand that, yes, she rose to power and yes, she did these things that were, that she was, she had great follow through, right? This was her ambition and she did it. But it also comes at such a high price to her character right? that it's really hard to sit back and say, yes, hooray, you did it when you know the truth of it. Yep. Well, moving to something that's a a more positive representation, we're going to talk about Luna and Hermione in Order of the Phoenix (laughs) and how they work together to get Harry's story to the press. I mean, this was Harry had no idea what he was in for. (laughs) He was just sort of a pawn. In this whole game of like publicizing the true events of what happened at the end of Goblet of Fire, she's really able to work with Umbridge's deficiencies. Um, you know, Umbridge would never think to imagine that Harry Potter would do an interview with the Quippler, <laughs> right? Right. Um, so there's that. Um, but there's also the fact that Hermione is able to overlook her own um biases and just realize hey you know what anybody who will listen to this story is good enough because we've seen that she was incredibly biased against the quippler earlier on that's really it it's the working together with luna who she thinks i think is still quite off um 
but for the good of the wizarding world like she is hermione is so personally offended by the lack of truth that's getting out and by she's so fed up with umbridge that she not only is so strategic with figuring out how to accomplish this she puts all the pieces in play but she also in doing so actually uses her um one blackmail against rita skeeter like she gets i i think one of the components that really helps the story gain traction early on is that it's written by Rita Skeeter, who absurdly enough, the wizarding public trusts. And so Hermione selflessly uses her blackmail against Rita to get Rita to show up and write this piece. And I think that that is also a quality to be celebrated is Hermione's selflessness here and her strat- as well as her stratagem. Yeah, because Hermione here very well could have been like, uh, you know, doing the mental calculus of do I want to sacrifice this trump card right now? What if Rita goes on to do something horrible later? Like, I don't know, write a book called The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but it really does speak to Hermione b- being able to think strategically about her place in the story and the placement of everyone else in the story and what's going to be of the greatest mutual benefit to everyone. Right. She understands that this is the most important thing that could be happening right now Mm -hmm. and how vital it is for them to be able to continue to move forward and to be able to continue to do everything that they're going to need to do in the next several books to that this story has to be told. Yeah. And and for Luna's part, she's pleased as punch to really arrange this with her father, I think. And and Xenophilius Lovegood, to his credit, too, like is just thrilled for the scoop. Um But I think they're also on the side of good, so they understand that it's important. And so for Luna's part in arranging, you know, this with her dad and the fact that that they're able to get it all together really speaks to Luna's good qualities as well. Yeah, I will also say it was refreshing to see two women work together in the series. I don't know if you see that too often. Yeah, one of the only ones that comes to mind is um, Molly and Tonks. Yeah, and their right. relationship and friendship, and the way that they strategize and help with Order of the Phoenix stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was refreshing to see two women work together. Definitely, and uh, one of the best, just overall role models, I think, in the series as a whole, Professor McGonagall. Uh, just, I-, I think, probably a teacher we would all like to have had, somebody we could look up to, and uh, she defends Dumbledore and Harry at great personal and professional risk in Order of the Phoenix, particularly in that career advice chapter. Uh, yes. That's one of my favorite chapters in the series. Yeah, it, totally. And I think it didn't quite deliver on screen. And I know a lot of people were disappointed about that. I mean, there was a moment between the two. What but I does really? Yeah. <laughs> David Yates again. <laughs> Leave David Yates alone. <laughs> After cautioning Harry to not engage with Umbridge all school year, it's Umbridge's decision to sit in on his career planning session with McGonagall that really kind of finally breaks the camel's back and unleashes that inner tabby cat from inside McGonagall. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we know how much McGonagall cares for Harry. She puts her career really ahead of anything here. She she says as much uh, in this back and forth with Umbridge if it's the last thing that she does. And she's also attacked later on in Order of the Phoenix, right? She takes the spell straight to the chest and Harry sees it from up on the astronomy tower. So 
Um, she's really one of the last lines of defense that Harry and the students have prior to taking that hit uh, during Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, Hogwarts is sliding into totalitarianism and we do not know where it will end. The fact that she chooses this moment to stand up to Umbridge, it, like she may not keep her job and Umbridge in a, in a, in a year or two could decide that she needs to die. I mean, you just never know how how bad this is going to get with Umbridge in control. And the fact that McGonagall openly defies her and talks about, oh, Dumbledore, he'll will he'll be back very shortly, I think. And there will be no trouble uh, for Harry to become an Auror and follow his dreams uh, for what does she say? Like whatever administration there is, like regardless of the government and Umbridge is like, you want to unthrow the overthrow the government. She's like, damn straight if it's you in charge. So. I mean, just really dangerous waters that that McGonagall, I guess this was the biggest Gryffindor moment that that I that I think for for McGonagall here is she is all bravery. And but she had it's not like she hasn't measured the potential consequences. She is still standing up to umbrage here and it is a sight to see. Also think about the events of Deathly Hallows. And we know that conditions at Hogwarts were horrible, but it really begs the question, how much worse could it have been if somebody like McGonagall had not been there? I mean, yeah, the Battle of Hogwarts was a huge Gryffindor moment for her. And I, I, my, one of my favorite lines in the series is, you know, the whole man, the boundaries protect us, do you duty to our school? <laughs> like so epic in the book and movie. Um, and then, of course, you know, everything else she does during the Battle of Hogwarts and like Laura said, that book. Yeah, I just was going through and read back through the old Potter no more (laughs) little description that they had written about McGonagall and found a lot of things that I had forgotten, including the fact that she had top grades in owls and newts. She was a prefect. She was head girl. She was the winner of Transfiguration Today's most promising newcomer award. She was a gifted Quidditch player. Like she's not just great in the eyes that we see her through and the lens that we see her through with Harry. Um, and as the deputy headmistress, she rose to that through a long career of being outstanding. So I think that it's just important to know all of the things that got her to where she was. It wasn't like, oh, I'm just friends with Dumbledore. And so that makes me deputy headmistress. Right. This list makes me want to see a TV series based on the early days of McGonagall, following the early days of McGonagall. And there's a lot here that she did. Well, pitch it to Warner Brothers. I know they're, I hear oh, yeah, they're, they're accepting for... pitches, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm a writer. Totally. <laughs> says everyone in Hollywood. So this uh, next achievement, want to bring it back to Ginny here real quickly. In the interest of not defining any one character by their trauma, although we talked about how Ginny got over the trauma and that was the achievement we mentioned earlier. I also wanted to mention her prowess at, at, at Quidditch and not to make, like if you think about the, the seven books uh, and who the Gryffindor seeker was uh, during the Harry Potter books, duh, it's Harry. But I actually didn't realize this, but both in book five and book six, Ginny makes actually the game winning saves that give Gryffindor the Quidditch Cup for each year against Ravenclaw. Um, you know, in the first year, book five, Harry's banned from Quidditch by Umbridge. And so Ginny has to compete in the, at least the last two games uh, against Hufflepuff. She takes the 10 point loss. And that allows them to sort of still maintain their overall point count. Uh, And then eventually they defeat Ravenclaw. And then also when Harry has detention during book six for attacking Draco Malfoy in the bathroom, uh, 
that's of course the big big final game of the year where Ginny again stepping in for Harry um brings the Gryffindor team to victory and so you know we know from extended canon that Ginny will go on to play Quidditch professionally which I think is badass first of all um that Harry's got like such a celebrity Quidditch player for a wife but um it just really shows you that if you look closely in the books things like the character's future it it was really there it's in the background but if you look for it it's there like Ginny was an accomplished athlete and this sort of shows that totally yeah definitely bringing up another character again right that we kind of talked about in her relationships with Jenny and things was Hermione we're getting to the towards the end of the series right where in Deathly Hallows she performs a super strong memory charm on her parents completely erasing her from their lives Mm -hmm. for their own safety and protection which is just I can't even imagine that sort of sacrifice that you make at 17 years old to decide that this is the best thing for your family and that you're going to be able to have the wherewithal to do this and to be able to walk away. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm really glad that we actually got to see this in the movie. Yeah. Um, You know, it's not something that we got to see in the book. It's something that we only learned about sort of through, um, you know, Hermione piping up, or maybe it was Ron piping up about, you know, hey, we're all making sacrifices here. Um, so it was really nice to actually get to see this off-screen moment portrayed in the movie. I think that it really drove home. Hooray, David Yates. Hey, you got a W there. <laughs> Just what an impossible decision it was, you know. And it's, again, Hermione recognized, like, she sort of, in some ways, she can sort of have, like, a greater good mentality, which is really interesting when you um, consider it alongside the themes of the greater good that Dumbledore and Grindelwald were exploring in their young, their youthful days. But I would argue that Hermione's application is a lot more ethical. Oh, (laughs) right. She sacrifices something herself versus having other people make the sacrifice for the greater good. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, the love of a parent is something to be cherished and she's able to set it aside and go, look, this is, you know, in order because I care about them, I have to let them go. And not only that, but I don't know exactly how memory charms work, but she has to erase every memory they have of her and every memory they've ever spent together, the vacations, the, you know, moments of parenting that even back to her infancy and remove the fact that they even have a daughter from their heads. So just the sheer amount of just the astronomical amount of like uh, specific and in order to, and then not damage their brains. We've seen one memory charm, like a simple memory charm go bad. And Lockhart is in the hospital wing for uh, for life. So the fact that Hermione is able to do this and then presumably years later undo this um, is is insanely accomplished and worthy of an achievement in and of itself. All right. So next we have Narcissa Malfoy. She saved Harry's life. No big deal. She told Voldemort that Harry was dead when he was very much just coming back from the dead. And Narcissa is instrumental in allowing Harry to emerge victorious from the Second Wizarding War. This was such a great redemption moment for Narcissa. So great to see. And as we mentioned at at the top of this discussion, ring theory is on display here. We see Lily saving Harry at the start. We see Narcissa, another mother, saving Harry at the end. 
just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think though, I mean, not not to rain on this parade, but I feel like Narcissa's motivation was because she wanted to save her son, right? <laughs> and Harry Harry was just a vehicle to allow her to do that. At this point in the book, it's very clear that Narcissa's like, oh, screw all this Dark Lord crap. Like, I just want to make sure that my family survives. So she's in full on survival mode at this point. Anything that would have allowed her to save her son, I think she would have done. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it just shows, again, this theme of like a mother's love triumphing over all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Including your like ideological leanings, apparently. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, she finally does the right thing, and and that's really the achievement that we all want to see as readers, <laughs> as people who care for her. No, but it, we see her love for her son on display really throughout. Um, I would say, aside from this moment, let's go back to Half Blood Prince with the unbreakable yeah. vow that she forces Snape to make. Uh, it's all for Draco. Absolutely. And, you know, another mother that we see throughout uh, is Molly Weasley uh, coming in and is uh, to kill Bellatrix at the end and save her daughter's life. Heck yeah. yeah. Not my daughter, you bleep. <laughs> Probably a lot of people's favorite line. Yes. <laughs> She's just a Molly Weasley is really an interesting character as far as accomplishments is concerned because, you know, talking about motherhood in the series, right? Mothers, we see accomplish a lot of things. But Molly is one of the, other than maybe Narcissa, one of the only mothers who really gets to raise all of her children Mm -hmm. uh, all the way through, uh, you know, for the most part. (laughs) And all of her kids, honestly, except for maybe Ron, turn out to be a bit of a badass. Whoa, Laura, will you accept that uh, (laughs) massive shade on that character? I don't disagree with that statement. I think that (laughs) per our conversation last week, I think that Ron's portrayal and subsequent history, I just don't see how it exists in a vacuum. I think Ron was made to be a joke in the films (laughs) in a lot of ways. And that has an impact. I think think one of Ron's biggest accomplishments is surrounding himself with powerful people. And being Harry's friend and being Hermione's husband, right? I think he winds up ascending to kind of this level of accomplishment because of who he surrounds himself with. But I think Molly has just done a really good job of instilling good character and work ethic and love and uh, so many characteristics into her kids. And I think that that is such a huge accomplishment for mm-hmm. motherhood. I completely agree. She's very willful as a character and 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 no clearer is that... Uh, will of hers than saying not my daughter like you do not get to remove my one of my children from this planet bellatrix i will obliterate you and she does yeah and the daughter she wanted so badly oh and after all that (laughs) work i gave birth to six other kids you are not taking the girl (laughs) you know what's interesting about this too just thinking about themes of motherhood and you know mothers not being able to be present for their children this interaction we didn't know it at the time but it makes uh bellatrix's daughter motherless now i mean we could have a whole conversation about what kind of mother we think bellatrix would have been but yeah i mean it's another I, i think it also ties into the ring theory because uh delphi is not the only 
character that loses a mother at the end of the series, uh, Teddy Lupin does too. Mm, yep. So I think that brings our uh, accomplishments discussion to a close, everybody. Happy International Excellent. Women's Day. Yes. I do have a question, though, before we go on, and, and it's not necessarily to put Laura and Olivia on the spot, though it kind of is. So um, when when you were reading the Harry Potter series, you know, what were your reactions, not necessarily to, to these moments, but I'm just curious to female characters as a whole in terms of, you know, some of the things that they did and, and were they really brought to the forefront in a way that you were happy with? Ooh, that's a big... Sorry, that was a loaded question. <laughs> it's a great que- It's a yeah. great question. For me, I, I kind of, I come at it in two different positions. So I read books three and a half when I was younger, kind of right around this time that they were coming out. And so at the time I really identified closely with Hermione because she was again, a bit of a nodal bushy hair. I felt like I could really relate to her character. Uh, And then the fact that she wound up becoming so close to these guys that she really like proved her worth and all of, all of those things. And, but then I didn't come back to the series again until I was an adult. And I think I had a completely different perspective. I think I was impressed and proud with the way, even though this book was shown through a male, like the main character is a male, um, I really felt like there was a lot of really solid moments for women. I wish there was more. I always wish there were more. (laughs) But I think that the way Joe utilizes certain characters, especially Molly and Hermione and Jenny, um, and even McGonagall really said a lot about who Harry was as a character and what he valued looking at, you know, the series as a whole. Yeah, I think so too. And I think Olivia makes a great point there. It makes me think about um, how it's repeated (laughs) multiple times throughout the series that Harry has his mother's nature. Um, So we hear it again and again, you know, yeah, Harry looks like his dad, but in terms of his personality, He's most like his mother. And I think the fact that Harry sort of leads the series with his mother's personality rather than that of his father, you know, the person that he looks up to, I I think in a lot of ways, most, especially in the first half of the series, until he realizes what kind of a jerk his dad was that really opens up the opportunity for him to be more embracing of those characteristics that are reminiscent of Lily. The series does a good job of showing female characters, with the exception of Cho Chang, um, through Harry's perspective. Yeah, and Lavender Brown. I think those two yeah, characters la- get Lavender it. too. Um, yeah, which is so annoying because it's like what girl like teenage girls aren't allowed to be idiots like teenage boys get to be idiots all the time (laughs) you know right (laughs) nobody holds it against them but yeah it's it's hard to say because i mean i've i read the series from like age 11 i got the first three books for my birthday and it felt like i got to grow up with the series so i definitely most resonated with Hermione as a character when I was younger, just because she was sort of the most obvious and available (laughs) character to really relate to. 
But to Olivia's point as well, it's been really nice revisiting the series as an adult because I feel like I'm able to relate to a lot of the other characters at this point with sort of like the time and distance that age provides. <laughs> so I don't know if that answers your question, Micah. It's, it's no, it, hard it to does. say. I just thought it, it, it would be amiss to not ask that question given the, you know, what we're discussing. So thank yeah. you for those answers. No, thank you for asking. All right, before we head into a game of famous witches and their achievements, I wanted to share a quick word from one of our sponsors, Third Love. I've been wearing Third Love's bras for a couple of years now, and I love all of the new styles and products they're coming out with. From classic lace that actually feels soft to their number one rated 24-7 classic t-shirt bra, there's something for everyone. Head over to The Fitting Room, a new and improved version of the Fit Finder quiz we all know and love to find your perfect fit. And if you're not sure about your size, Third Love's team of expert fit stylists are available via chat and email to answer all your questions. But Third Love has a lot of other great products to offer, like their new lounge line. Mix and match styles are your unofficial uniform for anything you feel like doing. This loungewear is made to wear everywhere from the couch to weekend outings and is available in woven, knit, and 100% French terry cloth styles, as well as sizes extra small through 3X. Every Third Love bra is made with signature memory foam cups, no slip straps, and a scratch-free band all of Available in cups AA through I, including half cups and bands in 30 through 48. Third Love knows your one true fit is out there, so right now they're offering our listeners 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash mugglecast to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash mugglecast for 20% off today. All right, Eric, so you prepared a game for us? Yes, so this game is, I think, a lot of fun. It's sort of trivia-based. You're going to have a multiple-choice questions, but it's about the famous witches that you've never heard of. So if you guys remember, before WizardingWorld.com, before Potter No More, there was the J.K. Rowling Flash website by Lightmaker. And in the, uh, I think it was the upper right corner, there was this uh, witch Witch or Wizard of the Month segment. That J.K. Oh, Rowling yeah. would, uh, she'd write about it, sort of like famous witches and wizards cards. It was like, here's the Witcher Wizard of the Month. And so I have picked four uh, witches that were featured on this uh, section of J.K. Rowling's original website. And I'm going to quiz you guys on what they are known for. All right. Well, we used to worship this website, so I'm sure <laughs> we're going to get these answers correct because we studied these very closely. Yeah, I'm just going to say as a Ravenclaw and a guest, it was really hard for me to look at this and not go and look this up. (laughs) I was like, I really want to know these answers. (laughs) All right. Well, without further ado, here we go. Question one of four. Uh, Ignatia Wildsmith, 1227 to 1320, is known for which of the following feats? Did she found the Society for the Reformation of Hags? Is she a popular presenter of the Wizarding Wireless Network? Is she captain of the Holyhead Harpies? And did she invent flu powder? That's an Ignatia Wildsmith. What do you guys think? I'm going to guess it's a big one uh, because this witch was featured on the website. So I'm going to say invented flu powder. Yeah. I really wanted it to be that she founded the Society for the Reformation of Hags. (laughs) I really want that to be the answer. (laughs) To go off of what Andrew said, though, just given... 
years that are listed here. That what that's what makes me think flu powder as well. I remember the answer to this question, so oh. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if it's right for me to answer. Of course, it is. Do you not answer Jeopardy questions because you know <laughs> the answer? We can test your memory. Okay. Yeah, let's see what. Yeah, what do you think? she invented flu powder. She did. Let me yes. let me surprise all of you guys though. All of these feats got a witch featured on this section of DKR's website. Oh. Ah. So all of these. So. Honoria Nutcombe, Olivia, founded the Society for the Reformation of Hags. Gwynog Jones, also a Witch of the Month, is captain of the Holly-Headed Harpies. And the Wizarding Wireless uh, presenter is... Um, Laura T. Glenda <laughs> Chittock. Chittock? So, kind of funny funny pun name there. Um, so, actually, funnily she enough... She was but- great in Wicked. <laughs> <laughs> So Ignatia Wildsmith did invent flu powder. Question two. What is true about Artemisia Lufkin, 1754 to 1825? Is it that she established the Department of International Magical Cooperation? Is it that she lobbied hard for the Quidditch World Cup to come to Britain? Is it that she was the first female minister of magic? Or is it all of the above? Well, I feel like she was definitely the first female minister of magic. I don't, off the top of my head, I cannot recall one way or the other hmm. on these other two items. The all of the above is tempting. You know, you, right. you, like you have to go <laughs> for it. Yeah. I'm going to say A, established the Department of International Magical Cooperation. I think all of these go together really nicely. So yeah. I am going to say all of the above. Yeah, yellow. I, I'll say she lobbied hard for the Quidditch World Cup to come to Britain. I love the variety, you guys. It's <laughs> great. Um, yes, I was not smart enough to do three truths and a lie here. It is all of the above. Um, <laughs> so, or, or so two, we're all two right. truths. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, if thanks. I included in all of the above and a four in a four thing prompt, it's all of the above. But Artemisia Lufkin, the first female minister for magic, she's really impressive and did all of this. This comes both from J.K. Rowling's website, uh, featured Witch of the Month, and later from Pottermore. She does get, re- there's a segment on Pottermore we'll be referencing in our bonus MuggleCast about all of the ministers for magic. And she goes into more detail, such as about the International Magical Cooperation and getting Quidditch to Britain. So, very good stuff. Very good job, everybody. Question three, what is Bridget Wenlock known for? Is it that she was the first landlady of the Leaky Cauldron? Is it that she first established the magical properties of the number seven? Is it that she's the author of the Enchanted Encounters in-universe book series in Harry Potter? Or is it that she's chieftainess of the Warlock's Council? I'm going to say establish the magical properties of yeah. the number seven. That's a fun one. Yeah, I like Agreed. that. I was going to go with the chieftainsness <laughs> of the Warlock's Council, just to mix things up. I appreciate that. Uh, the ch- the chieftainess is Alfreda Clagg, and Fifi Lafale is the author of the Enchanted Encounters series. You guys were actually correct. Bridget Runlock is the first person who established the magical properties of the number seven. Mm, and Melissa excellent. was the first landlady of the Leaky Cauldron, right? <laughs> <laughs> Melissa and Ellie. Actually, it was, um, if we're talking about the pub in London, it was Daisy Dotteridge. So uh, final question. Yokunda Sykes did this in her lifetime. 
Did she make a fortune selling household cleaning potions, which turned out to produce more mold? Did she fly her broomstick across the Atlantic Ocean and was the first person to do so? Did she write the bestseller, My Life as a Muggle, after giving up magic for a year? And is she married to the celebrity gardener Tilden Toots? Or is she the founder of the Society for the Support of Squibs? I vaguely remember this one about flying a broomstick across the Atlantic Ocean and was the first to do so. So I'm going to go with that. I don't know if it was her, though. I thought you'd go with Toots, Toots. <laughs> yeah, I went through a dumb phase where I would call myself Toots on the show. It was really stupid. I, I was trying to move past that, Micah. Oh, but we never forget. <laughs> I honestly don't remember this one, so I'm just going to say wrote bestseller, My Life is a Muggle. Mm, I'm going to go with the squib. I'm going to agree with Laura. Okay. So Daisy Hookham wrote the bestseller, My Life is a Muggle, and is married to Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Idris Oakby was the founder of the Society for the Support of Squibs. The Household Cleaning Potions Fraudster. I don't know if this is a reference to, um, was it Martha Stewart and her jail time, but that which was Erica Stainwright. She was disgraced um, for her criminal criminal acts. I see what she did there. It's a very sellable name, very TV advertisement sort of. Uh, what's that shop from home channel kind of name? Um, but in fact, it was Andrew. You're right. Yokenda Sykes flew her broomstick across the Atlantic Ocean, sort of the Amelia Earhart of the Wizarding World. Um, she was the first witch, uh, first person to do that. Excellent. Well done. I, I will say I love the fact that pretty much all these answers relate back to some witch in the yeah series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if they weren't in the original seven books, there was uh, some serious effort back on the original author website to. Uh, honor these achievers. So it felt very fitting to do sort of a game segment based on that um, and work it into the episode uh, for our International Women's Day. Cool. Mm -hmm. Well, about to wrap up the discussion, but we thought we couldn't have this discussion about International Women's Day and Women's History Month in the Harry Potter series without mentioning the author herself. Uh, and you know, it goes without saying that it is no small achievement to write the most successful book series of all time. But uh, one piece of information that I'm not sure all of our listeners are aware of is that when she was looking to publish Sorcerer's Stone, J.K. Rowling faced a situation that I don't think is unfamiliar. Uh, she was asked by her publishers to not use her full name. So instead of it being Joanne Rowling, it was shortened to J.K. Rowling. And that just came to her from her publishers because they thought that it would sell better to both boys and girls. If she had her name as just Joanne Rowling, they thought the series wouldn't appeal as much to boys. And so we know that, you know, obviously the series did extremely well, but I'm wondering that, is this a surprise to us that even in the mid to late 90s, this kind of mentality existed? And was this the publisher being sexist or was he just being realistic in terms of focusing on what he's paid to focus on, which is how well the series is going to do? Or is it a mix of both? I think it's a mix. Yeah. It is. It's, first of all, it's not surprising. Uh, it's still something that we we deal with all the time. Um, today, as far as 
in, in a lot of different mediums, books, uh, probably not as much, I would say right now, but definitely, um, I mean, even just thinking about like TV shows and things like that. Uh, I don't know if anyone's ever tried to get a male friend to sit down and watch Gilmore Girls. It's just, it's going to not happen. <laughs> it's a great show for all sexes, but it doesn't matter because the name impedes people thinking that there's room for them there, which is frustrating. Um, so I don't, I, I think it can be both, right? You can still, it's, it's a sexist mentality that allows for this practice to continue. But as far as practicality of getting it in the hands of as many people as possible, maybe not the worst decision. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like if you only ever put out best-selling stories with sort of like either male sounding or neutral sounding names, and those are the only ones that become successful, then you're kind of feeding into this stereotype, right? Like if little boys don't have anything else to choose from, then of course it's going to breed that kind of mentality. But it is hard. It, it, it's kind of like what came first, the chicken or the egg type situation. Um, so I, I think it's I think it's really complicated um, to know, especially putting myself, placing myself in the time period to know what everyone's mentality was and mm -hmm. how well-meaning they might have been trying to be. Um, you know, I think this mentality does still exist today. And, and kind of like Olivia said, I don't think that it would play out just like this today. Um, but women, in particular women of color, are discriminated against in this way all the time. Whether it's from somebody seeing your name on a job application or, um, you know, existing in your day to day life <laughs> um, as somebody who can be perceived as female on social media, this type of discrimination absolutely does exist. Um, speaking personally, I, I have the experience of having had a male colleague uh, very earnestly and genuinely trying to be helpful recommend to me that I use like a male sounding name when communicating for my job to basically make people not give me as hard of a time. Uh, what? I've wow. had a really similar experience. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't use like smiley faces or exclamation points in my emails and uh, mm -hmm. it really throws people. They really like to comment on it. Like, uh, they're just like, I'm not mm. sure if you're okay or nice or whatever. And I was like, I, I don't think any male colleague has ever had to experience that. Nope. Wow. Well, that's frustrating. And uh, thank you both yeah. for sharing that. Clearly, we have work to do. One other thing that J.K. Rowling mentioned you know, in the same article where she's talking about you know, having to shorten her name, she said, well, after the initial success of Sorcerer's Stone, you know, she became extremely well-known, did a lot of interviews, won a lot of awards. So the cat was kind of out of the bag. The fact that you know she is obviously a female author and clearly that did not impact sales of, of the series moving forward. So um, I also found it kind of interesting that when she did decide to write another series, she chose to write under the name Robert Galbraith 
again, kind of going that route. I don't know if that was something that was told to her to do, or she just made that decision on her own. I was going to say the same thing. I was like, how interesting is it that she did this, rose to prominent fame as herself, right? As a female author, and then went back. And when she decided to write under a pseudonym, she chose a male name. Somebody in our Discord actually brought up a really interesting point. Uh, It's from Iris Tinkerbell. They say, fun side note, in Germany, the books were published under Joanne K. Rowling from the very beginning. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I had no idea. Props to that publisher. So if you have any feedback on today's discussion, you can email MuggleCast at gmail.com or use the contact form on MuggleCast.com. You can also send us a voice memo to MuggleCast at gmail.com. We will have another Muggle Mail episode in about two weeks. Coming up in bonus MuggleCast today, available on Patreon, we will discuss more achievements of Miss Hermione Granger. It's time for Quizzage! Last week's question, what did Fred turn into a spider when Ron was three? Correct answer is his teddy bear. And it turns out with the uh, more greater inclusivity over on MuggleCast.com slash Quidditch, now that we've opened it up for everybody and broken down the barriers, we had over 88 people submit their entries. Nice. This week. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Uh, impossible to read a list of everyone's names. So we are going to say, like we used to, correct answers were submitted by uh, the following people or including the following people. Algebra Einstein, Andrea, Anna, Ashley, Big Mac, Billy, Bort, Voldemort, Brenda, Brock, Brody, Buff, Caitlin, Caleb, Camilla, Daniela, Eleanor, Five of Farmer, Frumpy but Super Smart, Greta, Guani, Hello Wolf, Landon, Laura, Lumos, Knox, Luna, Luna, Lovegood, Lunatic, <laughs> Mariel, Mega Edge, Mercy, MGB, Morgan, Nate, Nicole, Ning, Picket, Wicket, Pink Space Frog, Potter, Peep, 1591, Prickly, Wallflower, Rachel, Rebecca, Robbie, Suhas, Taylor, Tracy, Trace, Unsurprisingly, Slytherin, and William B. That sounded like slam poetry. Honestly, Good I'm going to get like really rhythmic with it. I'm going to start rapping. <laughs> we'll give you a beat next time. Oh, that'd be, yeah. You get, <laughs> oh my you guys gosh. Come Good up idea. with that. That will be amazing. Okay. Wrap all the names. Yeah. It can be to the seven word summary song. I miss that. <laughs> this, this one. It Had actually could work. I read Jen, Jen, yeah. Junior, Casey, Katia. <laughs> Kevin, Chris, Elizabeth, Ellen. Okay, those were some others. Anyway, uh, thank you to everybody who submitted. (laughs) Next week's question. (laughs) Name this famous female campaigner for breaking the statute of secrecy. She's been imprisoned several times for her blatant and deliberate use of magic in public places. This was another one of those witches, you guys. Who is a famous witch of the month over on the old JKR website. All right. Well, Olivia, thanks for coming on to today's episode. We uh, really appreciate it. You did a great job and you took the lead on a couple of these characters. So thank you for that as well. Thank you for having me. It was really exciting. You are so welcome. And uh, Olivia is one of our supporters at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Actually, one of our benefits at the Slug Club level is the chance to co-host MuggleCast with us one day. There are lots of benefits at patreon.com slash MuggleCast, including access to our live streams, early access to MuggleCast, bonus MuggleCast, a new physical gift every year, and so much more. So again, that's patreon.com slash MuggleCast. And thank you for your support. It's the reason why we are a weekly podcast. 
Also, again, follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Cool announcement coming up this week, so keep your eyes peeled. And we would also appreciate if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to MuggleCast. Thank you in advance. It helps new listeners discover us. And last but not least, thank you for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Olivia. Bye, everyone. Bye.